0: data aggregators are trying to be all things to all people, but are they succeeding? With the trend towards agile programming all the rage, is it possible to put out a thousand releases a month? And how does that speed up innovation? And how do we survive the appification of the advisor experience? All this and more on this episode of Wealth Management Today. This episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. Broker-dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors, and the technology ecosystem is a key part. Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker-dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, Contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to ezragroup.co, that's E-Z-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.co for more information. And I'd like to welcome my guest on this episode of Wealth Management today. Uh, It is Mike Zabrowski, the founder and CEO of Advisor Innovation Labs. Hey, Mike, welcome.
1: Thanks, Craig. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
0: It is a pleasure to have you here. And there's so much to talk about, so much in the news, so much going on. Uh, But before we get to some of the news, I just want to talk a little bit about, um, can you give me the the 30-second elevator pitch on Advisor Innovation Labs?
1: So we are an ecosystem for clients and advisors, and we are trying to narrow the gap between those relationships by uh, taking advantage of technology.
0: That wasn't even 30 seconds.
1: Uh, I, I've, I've had a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was a 15 second. You can get that elevator pitch done in like one floor.
1: That's the idea.
0: <laughs> That's impressive. So um, you're, you're working with a lot of RIAs and broker dealers and you're, you're out there and make, you're getting a lot of traction, which I, I think is great for a startup company. And so what are some of the things you're seeing are are you seeing a lot of innovation out there? And and if you are, how do you see it impacting the industry?
1: You know, I'll go back to the uh, the tech um, fintech uh, roadmap item that we we see out there on a regular basis. I think Michael Kitches provides it. A year ago, it was half of what it was. Next year, I'm not sure he's going to be able to fit all the uh, the new startups and all the new technologies onto that one slide that he's put together. It's the this right.
0: right. You mean is wealth tech road, is wealth
1: tech map. Right. The velocity has just picked up year over year and I've never seen the speed of new fintech companies uh, happen as fast as they are right now. So it's amazing. It's a great thing for for the industry.
0: Uh, Indeed. And I've I've made uh, comments. And and when I do my speaking gigs, I've I've talked about how we weren't innovating fast enough and we're we're sort of catching up a little bit, but other, other areas have always been faster. Uh, Especially in the the other FinTech, you know, the bankings, FinTech payment, those types of of areas have always been faster. Why do you think that is?
1: You know, that's a great question. I think you just follow the money and the money was flowing in from uh, a lot of the VCs, the private equity firms, even some of the strategics were, were focused on competing uh, within the bank channels. Um, that's where they saw the immediate value that could uh, could come out of uh, innovation. And now I think we're seeing a huge pivot a little bit away from the banks and more to the financial advisor technology, um, whether that's um, in tech or whether we're starting to see more um Private equity money flow into uh, RIA consolidation or investments. We're we're just seeing a lot more money um, within our space.
0: Yeah, I would agree. There's there's definitely more um, venture capital money in in the fintech and the, in the flashy consumer focused spaces. Yeah. And while there have been bigger wins, you know, more more unicorns there, there's way more failures. So I, I think the VCs that are focusing on our industry are, are probably making out better than the ones in the other areas.
1: And it's really because to your point earlier, it, we, we've kind of neglected it for so many years. We just took what was uh, given to us by some of the larger uh, utility companies within our space.
0: Yeah, these utility companies, uh, uh, firms like custodians and, and other and of other, the, the largest uh, tech vendors have become like utilities. And and one thing we, we were talking about before was the, how these firms in the beginning created platforms and that worked for a while, but then they're morphing into ecosystems. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing there?
1: Yeah, you know, that we've seen that trend outside of our industry. So if you look at some of the biggest brands in the industry from 10 years ago, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, IBM, to the, the, the bigger brands now, whether it's Apple, Google, Amazon, um, or even Netflix, And the, di- the big difference is an ecosystem is, is thriving. It depends upon the, the network effect. So when we start to leverage the network effect of all these cottage industry tech companies evolving, it really allows us to, to move faster. Apple just recently started developing their own content, but the apps that, that really made the iPhone take off uh, were all these third-party apps. Amazon, uh, for the most part, their success has been tied to the Amazon Marketplace all these third-party vendors who are participating in the network. Netflix, as we know, uh, really doesn't create a lot of their own content. Most of their success has come from the curated content around that. And it's been a very short amount of time that they've taken off. So when you look at the top five brands now from the top five brands uh, 10 years ago, it's all ecosystems versus platforms. Platforms are static. They're a little bit slower to, uh, to pivot. And um, they, they purposely were built that way in order to scale, but that's not the way that, that things are anymore. It's the difference between waterfall and agile. You know, we at AI Labs, were completely cloud native. We are completely agile. So we're literally doing around, uh, you know, a thousand to 1200 releases a month, as opposed to some of the platforms that are probably only doing two or three a year.
0: Now wait a minute. That's a, that, that that those numbers don't really uh, are hard to understand. A thousand releases a month. There's only thirty days in a month. That's thirty releases a day. Pretty much,
1: you know, they're not large releases. They're minor. We do a lot of A V testing. We may change uh, one thing, but we're pushing it out through the the test environments out to production on a regular basis. Hmm. Um, yeah. So you know, at the at the end of the day, you're not looking through. A 100-page document of what was released for the uh, for the latest release. We're doing it in such a soft and subtle way that we've learned from some of the fangs that, hey, change that button, move that pointer here. Um, because of the A-B testing that we're doing, we can, we can quickly adjust. So we'll put something out if we see it failing and not meeting the needs of the end consumer. Um, because we're all container-based, we can just kill that container and drop in a new one and move that that button or change that color subtly right. and see have how people react
0: to it. Is that more like me you know, coming from a computer science background, is that more like everyone just makes their changes live? How can you test a thousand releases a month?
1: Well, a lot of it is automated. We, we do a lot of automated mm-hmm. testing. That makes sense. Uh, yeah.
0: And there you go. Because then that sounds like it's you've got more, much more flexibility than even doing quarterly releases. Like some of the big firms do.
1: We also it also causes us to fail much quicker, right? So if we put something out that we think we know, then we actually get it in users' hands. We find out pretty quickly that we were wrong, uh, which then has us go back and quickly adjust. Um, so you hear that a lot in the uh, in the tech community, fail fast, fail often. Oh, yeah. um, and fa- failing doesn't have to be on, on a large scale. So we fail constantly on a, on a much smaller scale in order to... Uh, to make the experience more uh, appropriate for the end consumer.
0: And one of the questions I ask sometimes is of of people I'm interviewing is, what's your favorite failure? Because we we do learn more from our failures than from our successes. So what's the failure you guys had that you learned the most from?
1: One of them was um, we integrated with a third party calendar app that allowed the end consumer to actually go in and just schedule meetings um, Mm -hmm. without having to, have an interaction with the uh, with the advisor and what we found pretty quickly was one advisors don't spend enough time um, managing the calendar that they're going to set certain times aside Uh, and two it was um, you know they're going to move heaven or north if a a client wants to come in and schedule a meeting versus a b and c client Mm -hmm. so we ended up taking that feedback uh, after we we did this third party integration, stuck it out there. And then we found that advisors weren't really using it. It sounded great because it could do so many things. And we simplified the whole process um, and built it on our own. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I've heard, I've actually heard that before. That's, that's a, that's an excellent, uh, best practice in the industry that a lot of, a lot of, we hear a lot of advisors saying, I want to make it easier for clients to schedule. I want them to be able to click an app, but then they really don't want that for all clients. They want they want it bifurcated, or they want a a, a tiered system. Yeah,
1: and they want to be able to accept it or decline it or make another mm-hmm. suggestion. So, as much as you know, the tech companies develop some third party apps that work great.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we were we missed that one. We felt
0: indeed. Yeah. So let's 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 shift gears to something that's in the news, and we're talking about custodians and they created platforms that worked really well and then they're now they're morphing into ecosystems uh but some firms some custodians haven't had success morphing and uh that's is what well, your your, th- your thoughts of of driving the the latest announcement where schwab is buying tda so can you expand on your thoughts there
1: i uh, first of all i think it's fantastic for the industry um as long as we don't see the mm-hmm. fees come back on some of the trade but <laughs> You know, TD has done such a good job uh, developing an ecosystem. I was surprised that the other um, competitors of TD didn't pick up on it and move as fast as they did. You know, they truly built an ecosystem that nurtures and thrives on innovation. And I think that was probably one of the compelling reasons that Schwab stepped in to pick, pick them up today. Um, Whereas these larger platforms, these utility companies are, you know, it, they're much slower to ignore change until it's a little bit too late. I think Schwab hmm. recognized that they weren't able to innovate quick enough. I'm I'm sure this is not the only reason, but part of the reason. And so um, by acquiring TD, it, it really provides them that pivot to become more of an ecosystem. It'd be interesting to see how that yeah. plays out.
0: So, Look at the the moves that Schwab made. They, they sold off their tech, their core technology, their portfolio center, which was old, old entire technology, sold that off to Investnet. Mm-hmm. And then they go out and buy basically a whole new platform.
1: Yeah. One that's a, it's, I think it's more than a platform. I think it's a, it, it's an ecosystem and that's, that's the difference. Mm-hmm. People aren't necessarily looking for low cost products or services. They're really looking for high value products and services. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what we recommend a lot of our clients, uh, on uh, our, a lot of our technology clients when they say we, don't, you don't want to be the lowest cost provider because someone can always just keep dropping the price. You want to be a premium product at a premium price. Regarding the RIA uh, technology ecosystems that uh, the TDA has built and that other, other firms are trying to build, uh, do you see any trends along those lines? And what are you seeing in terms of how they're being built and what are the tools that have come along now that enable these RIA ecosystems to be built?
1: Yeah. So I, I, a lot of the firms out there today, you either have the resources to build this, uh, this framework of a uh, ecosystem like TD Ameritrade did. I think uh, advisor groups done a great job in starting to build out an ecosystem. They are really partnering up to get that network effect. And I think RIAs are looking for the same experience. They want something to be theirs that they can put their fingerprints on, the customer experience, if you will, um, to match the physical experience that they offer. We used to see a lot of this customization uh, within the family offices and the, the technology as well that the family offices used to provide. It's being commoditized a little bit and the expectation is that these RAAs should offer the same thing if they're going to, um, to offer something unique and individualized, so to speak. So whether you know, whether it's a, uh, an, a, an account opening, client onboarding, uh, a maintenance money movement, it should all have uh, the look and feel of the brand that you're trying to represent, whether that's coming from a, a, a plan that's being developed to account opening, to even servicings, you know, servicing in the past, for advisors, allowing clients to do servicing was a bad thing. They all wanted that servicing to happen within the advisor uh, channel. Now advisors are starting to realize and these distributions are starting to realize self service is a good thing. Clients are more educated, they want to do things on their own. Um, whether that's opening up an account after a recommendation has been made, or moving money, things like that, or looking at
0: balances. Yeah. And uh, it it did take a while for advisors to realize that self-service is a good thing yeah, and that it's, it's can, can take away a lot of your customer service issues while while keeping your clients happy and having them come to you only for the really important stuff.
1: Only the important stuff for For us. It's, it's about trying to get the advisor to spend more time as a coach or a mentor um, or a true advisor of the end client that they're servicing. And if they're stuck on technology and pivoting from one app to the other, that's less time they're spending with the client or tracking down a service issue. So for us, it's, it's really about removing the the slack within the advisor's day so that we can free them up to, to spend more time face-to-face. And that's where we talk, talk about closing the gap between the advisor and the client. And that's one way that we anticipate doing that through technology, freeing them up um, by creating these ecosystems that allow uh, for self-service or it allows the advisor to get back a month of their time where they could, um, you know, they're, they're pivoting from a CRM and the data now is moving into their financial planning tool or the rebalancing tool. And they're spending all this time pivoting back and forth on the glass If we could eliminate that pivoting and give them back a month of their time, um, that's a month that they could spend face-to-face, which is more valuable with their end client.
0: Would you say that um, we're seeing that there was a trend? Once everything, everyone had a platform. So all advisors basically used the platform, that was it. But then we saw a trend of uh, what I'm calling appification where all these apps started coming out. Well, do we just do this? We just do that. Well, I want an app for this, I want an app for that. And advisors were asking for it and IBDs were giving it to them where, uh, until the point where their desktop turned into their iPhone or, or smartphone screens where they have all these dozens of icons to switch back and forth. Is that what you mean by pivoting on the glass?
1: I do. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. So um, no one wants to flip through their iPhone to find the app that they need because right? now you have 100 apps on there. What consumers, what advisors are looking for is one unified experience. Harmonize the entire ecosystem. And that's the value that we get out of um, having an ecosystem versus a platform with all these different apps on it. I like, by the way, that you coined that phrase, appification.
0: That's mine, I own it, appification. (laughs) I think that's maybe. Or maybe I should use appify.
1: Appify, well... I think there's a company out there called Appify.
0: Oh, damn. All right. Then Appification it is. I own that. I'm going to trademark it. Appification. Let's take a quick break from this episode so I can share with you some information about a charity that I really support. And I think you will like it, too, if you look into it. It's called Invest in Others. Invest in Others is a charity, a charitable foundation that focuses in investment advisory financial services and they recognize individuals and firms that are making a difference by donating donating their time and money to causes that matter to them. It's mostly financial advisors who they focus on and their charities. Uh, I'm part of this uh, organization and uh, help them out a lot and I found out a lot about these different charities and how they're helping communities not only in this country but around the world. There's a lot of things that the Invest in Others Foundation is doing that I think you should look into. Uh, Some of their award programs, if you go to investinothers.org, they have an annual gala that you can uh, donate to. You can look at some of the finalists who won different awards and what their charities are if you want to donate to them. You can also, uh, uh, not sponsor, but you can uh, recommend an advisor you know who um, spends a lot of time with a particular charity to uh, be nominated and to win one of these awards which comes with uh, a decent amount of money that would really make a difference to many different charities. Uh, so please check it out. It's called investinothers.org. Org. Uh, yeah, you know, all this all the screen switching, task switching advisors don't know where to go to get things done, uh, or all the advisors at the firm are doing things in such a different fashion. It's not adding value. It's just creating hundreds of different workflows that can't be scaled.
1: Well, well uh, Craig, I, I even think we're, we've see, seen it with the uh, the end consumer. So uh, there's a lot of advisor sites where you go on and it says, look, if you're a client of um, Schwab, click here. If you're a client of TD Ameritrade or Fidelity or, or Pershing, click here to get your accounts or one of these other third-party apps. So the end consumer of the client uh, on these websites still have to figure out what the relationship is. Shouldn't they just be, go to your site, log in, and have all their information? They shouldn't have to self identify. You, you need to know more about me than pointing me in the direction of where my custody or clearing relationship is, because I don't really care. My relationship is with the advisor. I think um, Ron Carson has moved in this direction recently. I, I like what Ron has done with his uh, ecosystem. Client logs in; they get to see their their whole life in one, well organized um, screen, without having to figure out what my relationship is with, with Carson Wealth.
0: Yeah, and firms like these uh, RIA, what we used to call RIA aggregators like Dynasty and Hightower, or they're really more like RIA ecosystems, RIA networks, where they're, or RIA communities, where they're they're bringing like minded advisory teams in, and giving them platforms, giving them technology, giving them unique workflows like uh, United capital does with their money mind tools for onboarding and, and um, client communication and, and how uh, uh, Carson group has built their own interface. They built their whole, they're all, they entirely a uh, unique UI that sits on top of Orion, um, money guy pro and Salesforce. So the advisor never sees those apps. unless he wants to, he or she can click on a button and find and drill down into them. But most of the time they can just spend in the, uh, uh, Carson Group ecosystem.
1: It, they, it, that's exactly right. Um, they don't realize that they've just gone through four or five different apps. And that's, that's the, the elegant beauty of how things get put together. Um, we're seeing a lot of that movement, even within the, the Tamp community, where the Tamps have realized that they need to provide that, that same type of ecosystem. And extend their services out to those other ecosystems, so they can get that network effect. It's interesting, right? So we're 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 starting to see this movement pick up much faster than um, the, the pace is picking up quicker than uh, it, it ever has in the past.
0: Yeah, well, the the pace of change is increasing.
1: It's monumental how fast it's changing.
0: So. Another kind of change we're seeing is the race to zero, which we use at, I'm, I'm almost getting tired of that term, the race to zero, yeah. um, but we, so we all see the race to zero in, in, in prices of uh, other trading commissions, which I think is really not that important. But what I think is more important is something you mentioned earlier was the race to zero in technology. So how are we seeing that manifest itself?
1: So things, you know, business models that um, used to work in the past, charging for an API, for example, and making a lot of money off an API is no longer uh, going to be a viable business model. If you wanna participate in the network, in the ecosystem, if you will, you're you're gonna have to eat the cost of um, participating in that, uh, on that playing field, if you will. So those firms that had platforms and tried to build big moats around their platforms and charge for access to any of that, um, are under attack now where if they don't realize that in order to thrive, that they're gonna to have to remove those moats and extend out the value proposition of those uh, technologies to the, uh, to the ecosystems that are out there today. Um, I can tell you that um, we still see um, some large fees being charged for APIs, even for some of the, um, the older technologies and I think it's it's a matter of time before um, that starts to get uh, equalized mm-hmm. across the board.
0: So, now what does that mean when you say they're charging for APIs? So, for people who don't know, the, how does a firm charge you for APIs, and why would they do that?
1: So, firms let's say uh, let's say a firm uh, one of the large utility companies wants to uh, you want to get access to. Um, some of their, some of the data that flows through their system, your data that flows through their, their platform, they'll build an API to extend out the value of that. And let's say that cost hundred thousand dollars to, to build the API in order for you to get access to your data on the terms that you want. The utility companies will continue to charge and meter um, access well beyond the sunk cost of the hundred thousand dollars in order to access your own personal data that you've, you've created using their platform. Um, and they'll charge that, you know, a million times over. I don't believe that that's a sustainable model. So um, ATMs charge you for, you know, they used to charge you to access your money in the past. That's come down to zero. And I think that's a good hey, Remember that? Yep.
0: Those oh, days when you had to pay to use your own AP, uh, pay to use your own AP, uh, ATM.
1: To access your own money, it's the right. same thing, right? That that's your data. Why are you paying to access it?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's getting to the point where why are we paying for anything? But still, firms have to make money somehow. They have to charge somehow. So, uh, well,
1: they're 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 still making money off the assets.
0: Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Uh, there's I, I was at a family office conference, and there was a firm that had come out with a bifurcated. We keep using the word bifurcated. Bifurcated uh, business model where they charge a very low, a much lower fee on assets than most other firms do. But then they had separate subscription fees or one-off fees for all the other services that they, that they provide. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past you just, the higher asset based fee would subsidize the other services. They broke them apart so they could lower the asset fee and charge you for actually what you're doing, what you're using of, of the other fees or other services.
1: Yeah. You know, I think we're seeing that, you know, I, I listened in uh, on the, um, investment uh, earnings call uh, a few weeks ago. And they, t- you know, um, Bill Crager talked about uh, the pivot away from some of the asset based fees to becoming more of a service based fee company um, so that people are willing to pay for those services. Um, they're getting squeezed very hard on basis points and, without seeing the value. So they they've started to pivot uh, a little bit. Something that was mentioned on the call that I think is at play across the
0: industry. And that could be uh, very negative for them because they make a lot of money off their asset based fees.
1: But it's it's the I think it's the same on the zero-based trading fees that we've seen in the industry, right? Those Mm -hmm. have gone away because that's such a commodity that no one sees the value in paying a fee for that. But if you start to offer things like an ecosystem, so really interesting that schwab picked up td because they're offering this new ecosystem technology and people are willing to pay for that because there's value in it
0: but people will the people will money will chase value yep wherever it happens to go the uh, so we talked about um oh so before we leave this topic um when we talk about the race to zero are you seeing more firms being able to offer uh, upper, higher scale technology or higher or, or go into different markets such as upper scale um, client segments because the technology is cheaper than it was before?
1: Uh, so what, what, yeah, what we're seeing is we're seeing uh, things that were exclusive to family office type of businesses being offered now down to um, the uh, average net worth through those various different, distribution channels, whether it's an RAA or uh, some other type of broker dealer or, or TAMP and people are expecting those type of services um, to be offered. So the, the cost of that technology is coming down because we're seeing more, um, more money from the VCs and the private equity firms and the strategics flowing into our, what I'll consider our space, which is um, the financial services through financial advisors. Um, so a lot more money is being <clears throat> invested and we're seeing a, a lot quicker innovation and it's starting to commoditize, um, what used to be only offered at the exclusive levels.
0: Indeed. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, turning everyone into the, having giving every advisor the ability to sell to almost anyone.
1: Yeah. For those that want to participate, right. We're, we're yeah. still seeing there's still the, um, Male, pale, and stale model of some advisors who see you know their practice as lifestyle as they get ready to retire versus those that really want to grow a business.
0: Can you explain the male, pale, and stale?
1: So the industry in general is made up, and this is a this is a big challenge for our industry. Uh, Most financial advisors are uh, getting close to retirement age, Mm -hmm. and most of them are are white males um, Mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, We really need to hopefully get and make it more attractive to uh, younger financial advisors across a more diverse um, uh, space, if you will, uh, Mm -hmm. into the industry. I I think in general, it hasn't been as attractive as we started to see tech companies take off. Mm -hmm. But with the emergence of a lot of the investments, we're starting to make it a lot more exciting. We're seeing a much more diversified um, advisor type enter the marketplace, but there's still major problems within our industry with regards to the shrinking number of advisors entering it as a career. So where we used to have maybe half a million, uh, what I'll call advisors in the industry, we're probably down to about 300,000 and the trend seems to continue, unfortunately. So there's a lot less financial advisors today that are offering services to a lot more people who are, uh, in need of it And so what is it 10,000 or 20,000 baby boomers retiring a day yet we have less advisors within the marketplace offering advice. The only way to to match that uh, those two trends together is to make those those advisors that we have in the industry more uh, efficient so that they can move from only managing on average about a hundred of, of their client base to managing 300 and removing the slack in the system in order to do that through the use of technology.
0: Yeah. So we've been talking about uh, things you're seeing in the market. So let's talk about things you're not seeing. What's something you're, you're not seeing a lot of.
1: So uh, what we're not seeing is we're not seeing a lot of artificial intelligence um, prominently or machine learning being prominently um, front and center, so to speak um, outside of our industry. We we're we're seeing that take place with the, the Googles and the Amazons, especially for your shopping experience, but we haven't uh-huh. seen it yet, um, within our space catch up. Um, and I think you made a good point to me earlier in, in some, some discussions we've had over the last few weeks about it's not going to be as, as prominent as what we're uh, expecting. No one's going to smack us in the face and say, here's the, this new platform that's artificial intelligent. It's going to be, um, and if it's done right, it's going to be seamless. We're not going to know that it's occurring.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to be behind the scenes. Well, like we're seeing now with a lot of a lot of tools that advisors are using are being enhanced with AI. But they don't necessarily know that AI is doing it, which is the way it should be. When the technology becomes pervasive, you just don't know it's there.
1: Yeah. There was an interesting stat I saw the other day that said, we've produced more data in the last 12 months than we have in the entire life um, span of uh, of being on this earth and mm-hmm. it's picking up. In order for us to, to really leverage machine learning and artificial intelligence, we need massive amounts of data in order to synthesize it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's something that we're starting to see because of the fact that we're able to take advantage of some of the cloud computing that we can process these massive amounts of data and centralize it, uh, where in the past it was fragmented. Your clearing firm had some data. Your uh, direct business was separated from some of the clearing data. The broker-dealer had separate data. The consumer wallet didn't necessarily um, mix in with every all this data. But through the ecosystem, we can centralize all that data and then start to take advantage of some of the artificial intelligence that um, that we're, we're hearing
0: about. Yeah, it's it's, it's where, we're, where everything's moving towards. And I, I see a lot of other firms... The innovation in AI that people are trying to come out with is impressive. It's yeah. just going to take a little longer than people thought. Yeah. And one thing you also mentioned that there's a lot of slack in the system. What do you mean by that?
1: So uh, when you look at an advisor's day, they don't only have so much time and slack in the system means they're spending time on things that aren't valuable. So whether that's looking at um, logging into a CRM and then, Pivoting then from the CRM of what my day looks like to getting ready to do a financial plan to then moving into product recommendations and modeling and rebalancing. So there's these things that are inherently inefficient within the, the various different silos of an advisor's day that we can actually automate and remove some of those um, inefficiencies. And that to me is the slack in the system we did a study uh, this past year of how much time an advisor spends going from one app into the other. And even though the data may, may move, they still have to stop and think, okay, now I'm moving into this other third party app. How do I think about this? And what we timed was that on average advisors spend about a month out of their entire year, jumping from one app to the other, even though it's on one piece of the glass, so to speak. Um, So by removing
0: that's a lot of time a month.
1: That's a lot of time. Can you imagine if, if, if the advisor could spend more time um, w- with their prospect or with a client
0: mm-hmm.
1: coaching them right, and providing true value?
0: If only. If only. <laughs> but we'll all keep moving in that direction, yep. either by improving their processes and procedures or improving their technology or both. And we're out of time. Mike, thank you so much for being here and sharing your insights. Uh, I thought it was really valuable.
1: Craig, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I really enjoy spending time with you. Thank you. How
0: can um, people listening find you uh, online?
1: AdvisorInnovationLabs.com. There you go.
0: So what did we learn from this episode of Wealth Management Today in our conversation with Mike Zabrowski? Here's my takeaways. Ecosystem versus a platform. Ecosystem has a network effect, where platforms are static. Uh, RIA technology ecosystems we are seeing some trends with small API services taking over, uh, account opening and data mining. These changes are getting too big to ignore, and firms can't pivot fast enough. And there are firms that will succeed are the ones who close the gap between advisors and clients. Of course, the race to zero is affecting everyone. Some firms are even charging $10,000 for access to their APIs. That's just not just going to cut it, or just not going to cut it, uh, when we're trying to integrate better uh, and more firms are trying to build their own ecosystems or integrate into other ecosystems. Uh, trying to charge for that access when the clients really need it is just not the way to go. And the appification of advisor experience, uh, time for the, for the pendulum to swing the other way. This app switching is a waste of time. We need... Uh, as Mike said, pivoting on the glass uh, with advisors wasting a month of time a year just moving back and forth between different tabs in their browsers when they could have it all in one place if they so choose. So I well, hope you got a lot out of this podcast, and I'll talk to you all next time.